If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour well, yes, it is the Heretic Happy Hour. It's that time again, boys and girls, and we are so excited to speak to you on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and a few other books. And I am joined by my co-host, the amazing, the wonderful Matt and Jamal. Say howdy, guys. Hi, I'm Matt DeStefano, and uh, I'm one of the co-hosts as well, author of the recently released Heretic and uh, I want to introduce the hotline that we have, 2403-HERESY. That is 240-343-7379. And producer, do we have a voicemail? Hey, guys. This is Zach Parsons here. And a question I have for you is, uh, like you guys, I, too, have deconstructed my uh, views on hell. I no longer believe in, like, eternal concepts format and all that, or a literal hell. Uh, but something I've deconstructed a bit in this last year is a literal heaven, like most primarily after death, like ideas of heaven. So I'm curious where you, what you guys think of after death ideas of heaven. For me, I just don't hold to it anymore. I don't know what I believe, but I don't believe in a, like a literal pearly gates, streets of gold, everything. PG kind of heaven. So I'm just curious what you guys' thoughts are on that subject. Awesome. Thank you all for all you put into the show. I really appreciate it. All right. That's a good. That's a good question. That's deep, though. Yeah. What do you think? That that uh, that's a that's a great question. First of all, I mean, before we get into the addressing the listener's question, which is a great question, um, Matt. I mean, seriously, I feel like <laughs> you just took something from precious, something precious for me. But okay, but <clears throat> I'm over it now. So. Sorry, Joel. I think like, um, you know, my understanding of this is like, I think the typical way that we are, are trained to look at the world is through linear time in which it's like, okay, this is the life, this is the life we're living and then we die and then there's the afterlife. But I've said this before, I think we talked about, and I maybe mentioned this comment, which was kind of misunderstood um, when we had the the first live Heretic Happy Hour podcast um, uh, night. And I, I mentioned that I don't believe in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> but when I say I don't believe in the afterlife, I'm not saying that I believe that life ceases with with the death of the human body. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I don't think there's a, such a thing as a life and then afterlife because it's just it's so much our evangelical roots have just programmed us to see, okay, lot, heaven starts or hell starts after you die. And I don't believe that's just reality. There is only one life and it's the life we have in the present moment. In the, and I think Jesus touched on this when he said, this is eternal life. And then he used a very present tense verb to say, knowing God, which is like present tense, and basically through incarnation, the one who he sent, which he was talking about himself, and, and also we are also sent as well. So really knowing this reality in the present tense through incarnational reality, which is who we are. We are, we are God incarnate in human flesh. That's just, this is in the same way that Jesus was sent. So are we sent the same way? So knowing reality, being a being aware of reality, it just it's continual. So some people are, exist in hell right now because they're suffering. Some people exist in a state of bliss and heaven. I just think that there's a different dimension 
there's many different dimensions. And so what people typically refer to as heaven, you know, I, I honestly understand that to be a different dimension, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's in the sense of like, oh, a, di- a place where, t- you know, heaven starts when you die, that kind of thing. I don't subscribe to that, but that's my understanding of it. Keith, what do you think? Well, no, I guess I do believe that I'm not, I mean, as Zach described it in his voice message, you know, the pearly gates and the streets of gold and all that. I think I don't believe that. I think those are totally metaphors. I don't think those are literal, but I do, I do believe, I think, you know, I I subscribe to patristic universalism. And I I do think that the idea that uh, in the end, after we are, after we die, uh, there will be some process by which we will all come to be in the presence of God. I don't know exactly what that'll look like, um, but I do believe eventually every human being who's ever lived will uh, experience that process and will eventually, we will all be together with God uh, in some way or shape or form. Again, I don't know how to describe that. I don't even think, again, the Bible is attempting to describe it in any literal form. I think it's just trying to give us a general sense that, as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I guess I would say, yes, I do believe, but I'm not sure, you know, exactly wh- what it looks like. Yeah. That's sort of where I'm at. And if there is some sort of, I don't know, first person subjective experience after death, I can't, I, what I know now is only this present moment. So I can't think it would be too much different, um, than what we experience as heaven on earth, just void of suffering. Right. But I don't know exactly what that would look like. And, and, and you're right. All that pearly gate stuff is obvious metaphor because it seems kind of like some of the depictions are kind of boring as compared to the vastness of the universe right now. So it's like, well, it certainly can't be a literal city or something. Right. Yeah. Just <clears throat> sorry. And another thing that um, I might add is when Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, I don't think what he was saying is to be present in the bodies, to be absent from the Lord. I think that's a misnomer. It, it's um, <clears throat> many evangelicals will approach like I get to die and be with God. Right. I agree. But we are with God right now. Yeah, I agree. It's just that, um, it's just that I think, you know, I think the truth behind what Paul is saying there is that, hey, you know, to be absent from the body is is not a ceasing of existence. It's actually to be present with God in the same way. And I, and honestly, that may, a lot of folks are just bristle at this because they're like, oh man, you know, I don't feel like I'm with God right now. And I think that's the problem. That's the cause of the suffering in our life. It's because there's there are things in this dimension that block our view and our experience of being with God. But um, I think you know maybe other dimensions will will have other experiences with that, just like we do here in this dimension. Um, you know, even suffering though, I'm I'm not so convinced that suffering ends with this dimension. I think suffering can go on even after we pass in other dimensions. You know. Um, but that's a, that's another conversation. I just think that it's present. Hell, heaven, it's present as we speak, you know. Yeah. And but healing happens the same way when we come awake to truth of non-separation that we are present with God, that we're loved. I think that's these are all the things that alleviate our suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can dig that. <clears throat> oh, by the way, though, let me just introduce myself because I don't know what happened. But uh, my name is Jamal. <laughs> Jamal. Hi, Jamal. Uh, I, I'm the author of. Uh, free to love published with choir and um, i guess <laughs> i guess i guess i have an announcement to make you just said the name of your book and you got the heresy button <laughs> well you know and, and i guess okay so we're man this is something doesn't feel right we are um we are f- sponsored by this group 
called ah. the unfundamentalist. Mm. And the unfundamentalist is a group focused on following Jesus' commands to love God and our neighbor, oh, neighbor <laughs> and is dedicated to opposing the toxic, comma, power, dash, mongering, dash, fear, dash, inflaming <laughs> nonsense that is inherent in economic, comma, political, comma, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find us online at facebook.com uh, forward slash unfundamentalist or read our blog at unfundamentalists with an S dot com. That was so much better. I love that. That was that was beautiful. I just don't feel like that fit me very well. Yeah, that didn't that didn't work so good. This is a this was an awkward introduction, huh? It was a little different anyway. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, hey, I've got an announcement too, everybody. Um in addition to the amazing hotline, we also have a Patreon page. And if you go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, you will find it. And oh my gosh, there's some amazing, amazing stuff there. So we, as of, as of this recording, we're about $41 away from hitting our first tier goal, which is amazing because once we do hit that goal, we are going to announce to everybody some amazing, cool, awesome, unbelievable project that we cannot wait to announce to you. But so we're very, so, so close. Oh, so close. And for thank you, by the way, to all of those who have supported us. And we have, um, for those who support us monthly, they get access to like bonus podcast ep- episodes we record just for that Patreon group, um, bonus interview clips and segments, sometimes sneak peeks of interviews before we actually publish them uh, in, the, in the actual blog, uh, as well as, uh, you know, we're doing unique uh, blog posts and uh, just fun stuff, funny stuff, serious stuff, uh, a lot of fun. So it's it's awesome things happening on the Patreon page. Go check it out. Uh, if you're not supporting us yet, please do so and help us get to those uh, those goals. And we also want to say a big, huge thank you to those of you who have supported us on the Patreon page. I want to just shout out to uh, Emily Kuhn, Daryl Holbrook, Michael Edwards Ronning, Mark Martinez, Brenna Laws, Sarah Jo Giese, Philip Martin, Lisa Stratton-Stevens, Steve Atkinson, Karen Reddington, how you doing, Karen? Kelly Caldwell, and Jane Romano. Thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. It means a lot. And it's now time for us to transition to everyone's favorite part of the show, the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. I'm David Hayward, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Hi, David. David. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Great. How are you, David? It's it's nice I'm, to have you on here, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, this is uh, this is Matt here. Um, my first question for you is uh, why do why do you think people, or in your experience, why do you think people consider you a heretic? Yeah, man, you guys jump right into it. <laughs> That's, That's right. It. <laughs> yeah. We're All right. A, we're on a time crunch here. Come on now. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, a heretic is somebody who's unorthodox. So I suppose, uh, or I'm a, I'm an orth- unorthodox kind of guy. But here's the problem: uh, everybody has their own worldview. Everybody has their own beliefs. We like to believe we, that we believe in packs or tribes, but really, when you when you talk to each individual person, their beliefs are pretty unique to themselves. Everybody has their own quirks and tweaks and everything. So. I think I am unorthodox to everybody else on the planet. So I'm, I'm everybody's heretic really. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I mean, uh, how many people, I don't know anybody who believes exactly like I do. So everybody else is my heretic, right? So <laughs> I think we're all, I think basically we're all heretics and tr trying to find the way. But uh, yeah, I think I'm a heretic to most people because I'm unorthodox. I'm, I think outside of their boxes and uh, just like I try to think outside of my own box. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we actually, we, our first, was it our first episode guys where, um, heresy, it's entitled heresies in the eye of the beholder. And that's just, that seems so damn true that, uh, it doesn't, if you ask one person, he's going to have a list of heretics. If you ask another who might even be in his similar camp, I mean, no two people agree and think completely alike. So we're just mm -hmm. all going to mm -hmm. have different people we're labeling here and there. And it's all just seems to be kind of a mess, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the word labels, that's that's true. Everybody has their own label because the contents are different. So, you know, we, <laughs> I've got, I don't know how many labels I've got people trying to stick on me. Um, I resist labels and, and, you know, titles and things like that. But it's because people are trying to figure out what the heck I, my contents are, right? Yeah, well, you're the, you're the so, naked pastor, right? That's the label. I'm the naked pastor. That's <laughs> Well, you know what? That that is my label, but you know the the label uh is um <coughs> excuse me. That the naked pastor is the reason I use that is because I want it to be vulnerable and transparent and honest online. I wanted to be totally visible. I want people to see what a pastor and I was a local pastor once. Uh I wanted to see what pastors really struggle mm. with and and to just be really honest about that. So that that's that's what gets people in trouble is when they come out theologically, right? right? So that's that's where my trouble um, was was coming out theologically. And I I dare say if anybody comes out theologically, you're going to be branded a heretic. Yeah. So do you? Yeah. So you, would you say that uh, really the main reason people might brand you a heretic is that you're just a little too honest? Well, honesty doesn't help because <laughs> <laughs> it. It, you know, it, I, I'm telling people what I believe. I'm thank God I'm I don't live in a a place where people burn people for heresy. If I lived back then, I'm not sure how old I would have gotten. Um, and that's the same with a lot of people I know, uh, people who come out in whatever way, uh, but coming out theologically, yeah, that that's that's very risky. And uh, I know a lot of people who struggle with that just even coming out in their own families or in, in their own marriages or whatever, coming out theologically is a very risky business these days. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So David, um, you know, a, a big part of what you do um, is kind of creating these pretty, usually either very funny or very profound uh, cartoons. At least that's kind of the main way I discovered you uh, online. And, mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, you, you, mm -hmm. you allow me to use, uh, one of your best ones, I think the Jesus eraser, uh, in my book, Jesus untangled. Thank you. That was awesome. And, oh, yeah. um, and yeah. so I, I think, you know, those are the kind of, maybe, maybe the format, right? The, you've chosen a format, uh, of cartooning. Uh, can you explain real quick, like, why did you choose that format? And do you feel like that, that, uh -huh. that communicate, that medium, uh, does it help to soften message or does it help to communicate it better what do you think <laughs> uh no it does not soften <laughs> no 
<laughs> no, I actually cartooning found me. I, I was, uh, I'm an artist. I've been an artist for a long time and I was blogging and showing my art and writing and everything like that. And I was, I always liked cartoons and I was particularly uh, inspired by, I don't know if you guys have heard of Hugh McLeod gaping void. I, I, uh, I liked his cartoons and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try cartooning. See, see if it works. I'm going to challenge myself to do a cartoon every day. I gave myself maybe a couple of weeks or a month at the most, but here I am, um, 11 years later, still cartooning and every day. And so for me, um, I, and I decided I'm going to keep it to one frame, one frame cartoon and holy shit. I want to hear that bell. There we go. The, the response, the response I got was like unbelievable. Like I, I would take time and write these nice lengthy posts and put a lot of thought into it and everything. And I might get the odd comment or like, or share, but man, I put a cartoon up there with one picture and <laughs> it just like, it was powerful. So a picture's worth a thousand words, they say, and I think it's really true. So, you know, when I, 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 you know, let take an example of, of the c- cartoon, the eraser one that you mentioned, um, where people are drawing lines of division between us. And then Jesus is busy with an eraser trying to erase them. Like that mm-hmm. says a whole lot mm-hmm. in one little picture. Yeah. And, um, it, for some people they're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then other people are like, no, that's terrible. We, you know, um, that, that means everybody's right and nobody's wrong, you know, and, yep. and all this kind of thing. And people have a problem with it. So I really liked how just doing one cartoon and putting it up there can stir up so much trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hey, real yeah. quick here, since we're, we are on a yep. time crunch, uh, can you explain a little bit of your deconstruction process? You mentioned you were a pastor yep. uh, at one point, and now you've kind of gone through uh, this deconstruction process. Right. What caused that? What were some of the kind of the, the big, okay. you know, Well, I'll, I'll be brief, uh, but um, I, I had two deconstructions. One was theological, and that I spent years there. And then in 2009, I, had a, I, I woke up from a dream where the, my theological deconstruction was over, and I, was, I had peace of mind, and that's— that was in 2009 and it's stuck with me ever since. And that peace of mind is beautiful. I love it. I have no more theological angst, no more mental anguish, you know? And so my theological deconstruction ended then. I I struggled theologically for decades trying to figure things out and make sense of everything theologically. And I couldn't. And then that one dream settled it, but I had another deconstruction and that was from church and ministry. And that, that was difficult. I, I left the ministry in 2010 and it took me a good, um, I'd say a good five years to, uh, decompress to, you know, um, come recover from that addiction. And, uh, you know, it, I I'm now, I'm now at peace. Everything's good. Everything's cool. But that was a rough go. So yeah, two. There were two deconstructions: theological and ecclesiological. Hey, so are we allowed to ask you what that dream was about? Um, well, it was just a waterfall. It was just I just saw a waterfall, and I was at the bottom of it. But I'm talking about a huge waterfall, like Niagara Falls waterfall. And mm-hmm. I was at the bottom, and I knew in the dream that uh, that was a the structure of reality, and it was kind of uh, um, trinitarian in structure. Uh, 
tri- like a triad. So above the falls was the infinite source that we cannot see and can only yeah. guess what it is. Then coming over the falls, that unbelievable amount of water is the incarnation or the revelation. And then where it hits the ground, it spreads out. I understood to be uh, the uh, application of that to all living things. So yeah, a Christian would see it as God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. A uh, Jewish person on the other side of the fall might see it as Yahweh, uh, Moses and the Torah, and then the spirit in the synagogue and so on and so forth. Then a Buddhist might see it another way. Atheist might see it another way. So what, what I woke up from that dream, mm. I understood it's all perception. Mm. It's all comes down to perception. And we, and the only thing that seems to divide us is our words, our language, our mm. paradigms, because I think really essentially fundamentally we are, we are one and we are united but it's just the language that separates us. So that's it in a nutshell. That, that makes sense. Yeah, and and David, this is Jamal here. Um, yeah, hi Jamal. Yeah, I um I actually have a um this is something I've it's been on my mind for a while, and I I'm excited to hear that you're coming on the the podcast here because I wanted to ask you about this. But a lot of your cartoons feature a woman, and mm-hmm. uh, her name's Sophia. And so I want ah. I wanted to ask you about who is Sophia and why is she a mm-hmm. woman. And and how did how did how did this come about for you? Like, what's that process been like for you? All right, so that she she was a major. Uh, so we know we know Sophia is Greek for wisdom, mm-hmm. and and I it was a about a year or two after I left the church. Uh, I was drawing one day. Usually, I do nice, pretty watercolor landscapes and so on. But this one day, I drew this picture of a girl standing in front of a huge grizzly bear and she's holding up her teddy bear to the grizzly bear. And I I spent hours on it and I didn't know why I was drawing it. I'd never drawn anything like that before in my life. And my, even my wife was like, what, what's that? Like, why'd you draw that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's just like a stream of consciousness almost. And, um, anyway, I, every week I would draw another one. I would draw another one. And finally I figured out, Hey, I'm drawing my own deconstruction here. I'm drawing my own spiritual journey. And, you know, I studied some Carl Jung as well, and he talks about the anima, which is mm. the female aspect of the male, right? And uh, I understood that I was I was drawing my own journey out of spiritual bondage and, and slavery and into my own freedom. So this whole, I drew 59 Sophia images and wrote a meditation for each one. And I called it the liberation of Sophia. It's about a woman, but it's really my story. In fact, so, uh, yeah, in, in fact, uh, I'm, it's being translated into Spanish right now. I'm hope to have it. Uh, well, it's already translated. I'm, I'm getting it published. And uh, the, one of the translators was like, are you sure you wrote this? It seems like a woman wrote it to me. I'm like, no. Well, Sophia wrote it. My Sophia, my inner Sophia. So it's 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 my favorite book. I've I've got six books out so far, but that's my favorite one by far and my bestseller. Wow. Wow, that that's amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you so much uh for sharing that. Yeah. And, and I wanted to just ask you also, like, I know you a lot of your work is involves helping other people deconstruct. Yes. Um so could you talk a little bit about that? Like like what's your process like with that? Um and and, and how you help people move from, you know, from you know, where you've uh-huh. been or just the part, you know, being in bondage uh-huh. 
certain things to to coming into an area where they're more comfortable exploring. Right. Uh, right. Right. So I, I help people deconstruct and there's three ways I do that naked pastor blog and people, anybody can see that all any day. And, you know, like you said, I think it was Jamal, you, you know, how it's helped your journey or Matt, you, you mentioned that as well. It's been helpful in your journey. And, um, uh, but then I, I also help people a little more intensely. I have an online community called the lasting supper and that's for mem- the members there, people who are deconstructing and trying to reconstruct their lives. And, and, uh, and then I do one-on-one coaching for people who, who need, uh, and that's the best way if you want to get through deconstruction quicker and healthier, uh, you know, doing it with somebody, um, and processing it with somebody is really, really helpful. It helped me. So, uh, what I do is I just basically, what you do is you give people space. You, I just provide people with a safe space where they can vent and question and doubt and process. And, uh, I am totally, I totally believe that that empowers people to heal themselves and they will find their feet again, but they just need that place to do it because most of the relationships we religious people find ourselves in can be very codependent and toxic. And, uh, you know, it's, they're not very free uh, where we feel free that we can come out the logically because we fear rejection or embarrassment or shame or guilt or fear, you know? So if you can provide a safe space for people to process it, they will find a way to heal themselves. Uh, that's, that's beautiful, David. I, I, I totally agree. And I'm, I also am involved in some coaching and I, I completely understand there's just no better way than when mm-hmm. you're working with, with people individually, you know, and helping them process their journey personally. It's just, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah. Glad. Thank you for, for what you do. So. Well, you know, if I, if I can say, like, it was about a year after I left the ministry, I thought I was doing great. But actually, when my wife looked at me one day and she said, <laughs> David, you need help. <laughs> and, and I realized I needed, to, I needed to process this leaving the church and leaving, you know, my, the ministry. I needed to process that with somebody. So I found a coach and she really, really sped up the process, decreased the pain, not only in intensity, but in, in time. And it was, uh, it was absolutely crucial to my, uh, healing myself. So yeah, totally. Oh, that's perfect. Well, I'd like to ask you, like, what do you, what, when you think of the future or where you're headed, where, where do you, what are you excited about uh, moving forward? Where do you see, uh, some of your work heading into what's, what's on the horizon for you? Well, if Trump doesn't kill us first, uh, <laughs> what I would like to do is uh, continue helping people deconstruct. I'm also helping people uh, with creativity. Uh, I'm a creative person. I, I create stuff every day. I cartoon, I write, I paint, uh, I facilitate online community and so on and so forth. And I, I'm helping people unleash their creativity. Uh, I'm coaching people in that way as well. And, you know, continuing with the lasting supper and I'm continuing to write, I want to write about the waterfall dream and, and, uh, the theological sort of, uh, story that goes with that. I call it the Z theory, but, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that out there too. So I've got my plate full, uh, but I'm really excited and passionate about it. And I, I really do appreciate all the fans out there, the people who are reading me and, and liking my cartoons and stuff. It really is an inspiration. So it just helps keep me going. 
I love helping people and it's good to hear from people that are being helped. It, it's a, it's a great way to live. It is. <clears throat> hey, so uh, yeah. Remind, um, before we jump off here, remind people where they can get a hold of you. Nakedpastor.com. <laughs> all right. That's where I'm at. Uh, and all, right. all my connections are there. My everything's there. If you want to, if you want to, and I always answer emails or texts or questions or anything. I'm always, you know, I'm really good at responding. So, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm totally an open door green light. Beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Dave. Hey, thanks guys. Really nice to chat. Wow. That was an amazing interview. Uh, David Hayward, super great guy. Love his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And thank and thank you for being patient, David. And and it took us this long to get this in. When did we record this? Back in October or November? So uh, it's been a while. Been thank a you so much for being patient with us. Yeah. Yeah. And thank yeah, we really just just appreciate um guys like him, his work. I mean, you know, he's faithful to just create art and to put it out there. And I think it's obviously comes from his experience and the things that he's deconstructed. But, you know, if he wasn't doing that, like like that. there's so many conversations that people have had that he's contributed to people's process of deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. But like, it's invaluable that guys like him exist and that they do what they do. And I'm just so thankful that he's, I know it's not been easy, um, but it's been, a. it's, you know, he's, I'm sure he's taken a lot of flack over the years, but it's just, he's been a blessing to so many people. So thank you, David. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Super great guy. Love what he does. And, um, you know, we, I know him and I know that he, takes a lot of heat for some of his cartoons as well, because, you know, he's, he's kind of doing in cartoon form what we do with blogs and podcasts. <clears throat> and um, so he takes a lot of heat for some of the stuff that he does, but you know, so there's some ideas that translate so much more uh, beautifully in art, you know, in, in cartooning, you know, like it's amazing to me, he can do something with a couple of lines on a page that takes, you know, it takes me all day to write a blog, right. you know, thousands of words to say the same thing. So it's pretty cool. And speaking of that, uh, we are doing uh, our podcast topic. It's a great little transition here uh, about art. And so we want to talk about the power of art. Um, we, I think one of our bonus podcast episodes that we did for the Patreon page, we touched on this a little bit and we were like, yeah, this would be a, a great topic to do for the whole podcast and perfect to kind of uh, follow David Hayward uh, as, as our heretic of the week to talk about this whole idea of art. So, you know, what is art? We want to talk about, um, like human creativity, where does it come from? And, um, you know, what, what makes something Christian art, quote unquote, or just art in general, is there a Christian art or is art just art? Uh, and that kind of stuff. So I have a lot of, a lot of different things here we could, uh, we could move into. Um, I guess the one thing I would want to say just to kick us off is that obviously God is the creator. So God is creative. Uh, we know that Jesus was a storyteller, which I love, by the way, as a writer. I love that that when Jesus shows up, you know, the incarnation of God in in, in the human form, um, you know, he's the one he's telling stories as a way of communicating truth and getting people to think. Um, which I love that. And so obviously then that means if if we are created in the image of God, who is the creator, we are also creative. Uh, if we are following Christ, and then again, we also are then are partaking in the, this nature uh, of Christ, which is also creative. And um, so I've always felt like that uh, there's always been a, a spiritual element to any kind of creativity, whether you're a Christian or not. And so for me, and I'm just going to say this, and then we can, I guess you, I want to hear you what you guys think about this. But for me, um, like I started noticing when I was younger, like I would listen to a 
something on the radio or even sometimes read a, read a, a book or look at a work of art or something like that. And, and just feel like so touched and so inspired and really feel like, man, God is in this. God is speaking to me through this, whatever it is, a song or a, a movie or, or a book or a work of art or something like that. And, um, and then say, well, but that's weird because the artist who created it isn't a professing Christian. So how is it, how could it be that I could have, um, picked up on that? How could I, how could they have even transmitted something like that? So for me, and again, this is just kind of what I'm, how I think, I feel like anytime an artist or a human being, any human being taps into sort of this creative spirit, um, we're actually connecting with God, whether we know it or not, right? Uh, we are connecting with God because he's the source of creativity. And, and because of that, um, because we're trying to create something that's beautiful or something that's true or something that's profound or something that will, we want to, uh, move other people in, in a, in a emotional or spiritual way. It's like, we sort of, uh, receive, I believe I would say we receive from God sort of this creative spark that also then has a bit of this truth in it that, um, kind of transcends what we in, we could possibly have ever intended with our own minds. In other words, so like for me, a lot of times I'll, I'll read a poem that I wrote, for example, or listen to a song that I wrote years later and I'll just go, man, where did that come from? Or did I create that? Or, you know what I mean? It's almost like I st- I'm, I'm taking a step back from the art and I'm marveling just as much as anybody else might to say, where did that come from? Like, how, how, did, how did this thing come into being? And, and again, for me, I just think of it as we're, we're connecting as human beings with the divine and, and God is sort of creating through us in some senses, uh, or at least that's potentially what could happen. And, um, and that to me is true art that, that has weight and resonance and meaning. So anyway, that's just my opening thoughts there on that. What do you guys think about this stuff? Well, I think you, you said a lot of good things, Keith, and I, and I agree with so many of them. Um, I think the problem, you mentioned Christian art, um, and I put that in quotes, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, because it seems that sometimes, when, I mean, art transcends individual languages and e- even Christianese. So I think you're right. Good art points to truth and um, gets to the heart of things in, in ways that other content creation may not. I mean, it's all art, but because of the diversity of art, we can speak these things to each other, even if we don't speak the same language, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, or we, or we don't have the same faith tradition. So we don't know the language we're really speaking. Um, and that's where I think Christian art quote unquote misses. The point is that so many times you're, it's like you're forcing something mm-hmm. to be spoken rather than just letting the art be. So we will, at least in my tradition, we'll sing worship songs that are all pretty much the same. They speak, they, they, um, or they, they, they skip the pain and the suffering and the real human stuff mm-hmm. that we go through. And they just jump right to this like kind of uh, surfacey, wishy-washy Jesus is my boyfriend stuff or, yeah. or, or things like that. Um, whereas I think true art is gritty and it's dirty and it really calls attention to maybe injustices in the world. And, and, and it can be power, powerful in doing that. And I think that when we try to make it, force it to say something, then we've missed the point of art and all we've created is kitsch. Yep. I think that's why people love the Psalms so much, you know? Like so many people love the Psalms because David uh, and the other psalmists, because they're not all David, but 
uh, he's he's just brutally right. honest and questioning, like God, right. where are you? You know, here I am suffering, and, and you don't know, don't you care? And um and and those sort of uh very real and human and raw and painful questions are just human, and so we resonate with that. And like you said, if if things are too, you know, nice and clean and perfect, it comes across kitschy or it comes across fake because we all right. know that's not real life. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we we know not everything is like Jesus washed down on me and your waves of it's not all I mean, yes, I mean, some of those things are true. But it's like, damn it, I want something a little bit more real when I'm hurting or when I'm in pain. I don't want to sing about this hope, you know, this metaphysical Jesus and how much he might personally mean to me. Like sometimes Jesus needs to just be quiet and sit next to you and suffer. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what our art needs to do as well. Like it needs to really impact us in a real way not just because we slapped jesus on a cloud on a cross and it looks nice in our well it doesn't look nice it looks kitschy in our in our living room or whatever that's just it's not all about that all the time you know yeah yeah i think the idea of christian art is 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 kind of you know it's just not real because there is no such thing as christian art i mean i had i was talking to a, a friend uh, one time and he was saying, yeah, I mean, there's no more such thing as Christian music or Christian movies or Christian art any more than there's like go to the grocery store and you, and you buy Christian macaroni and cheese. You know, it's like, it's it just, mm. it's a label that we put on things. Christianity is a belief system, just like any other religion. It's a belief right. system, but truth yeah. and reality transcends the belief system. So like, for example, like if you're, you know, if a baby's born, you know, the baby may feel loved, but that baby doesn't have any beliefs. You know, you may love the baby, but it's not, it's not according to a belief. It's, it's just a reality. It's something that just is. And so, and people can recognize what is beyond a belief system. You can feel it. You can experience it. And this is true of all human beings. And this is why art so oftentimes, that's why it's perplexing. To Christ, Christians are perplexed that God is so clearly manifested in songs and music you know, that was, that's quote unquote in the secular category and Christians. I mean, if they're being honest, lots of Christians are just like, I'm blown away because that's so clearly the voice of God, the heart of God. And the artist is like, not a Christian, but again, Christianity isn't actually real. It's actually not real. It's a belief system that somebody invented. There is no such thing as this thing. There is no independent Christianity that just exists in the world somewhere. It's literally an illusion. It's a belief system. It's a belief system. I mean, it's, it's just a belief system that people kind of like come up with it as in a category in, in the mind somewhere, but it's not actually reality. But reality is just reality. All the, so, so when you tap, like for example, as a human beings can't help but be um, expressors of reality in a creative way because obviously we... we when human beings are creative because God is a creator. And if we are truly the children of God, which let's see who, which human being on the planet is not an offspring of the divine. So, you know, if dogs bark because dogs, like if you have two dogs and they have children, their puppies are going to, they're going to be dogs. They're going to bark. They're going to do things that dogs do because that's what they are. Well, if, if God has expressions of God's self that come from the divine being, which is what humans are, then, then human beings are going to do the things that God does because that's where that's our nature. We are God nature. We have God's nature. Everybody has God's nature. It, it, that's who we are. We can't help it. It's just who we are. So you, we create in the same way that the infinite source creates because that's 
that's literally our very essence and our very nature. That's why we create. And everybody creates. Everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm uh, first of all, I'm alarmed uh, and shocked that you are eating secular mac and cheese. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you would do such a thing. But uh, no, it's so true, man. It's like the whole thing about do you get your Christian milk from a Christian cow and, you know, get those, you got to freshen your breath, your breath with testaments, you know, Christian mints, because you don't want to be freshening your <laughs> breath with, with secular evil Satan mints. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it's true. But, but see, that, I'm glad you said that because see, that whole way of thinking, Christians b- have bought into this and it's just a Christian subculture, right? So we, we do think that we can only listen to Christian music and watch Christian movies and wear Christian t-shirts and, and you know, bowl at the Christian bowling alley and, and uh, you know, call the Christian plumber to fix our Christian pipes and eat Christian hot dogs. You know, it's just, it's silly. Like once you start thinking of it that way, it's in, it's nonsense. However, what isn't nonsense, what I think is actually very, very, it is real and it is very serious. And I, I would say even da- at least dangerous or damaging is this idea of the Christian subculture, because we have then, Christians have created a, a version of the world that is a sweet little bubble where we only interact with other Christians. We avoid, you know, Muslims and uh, atheists and, and Buddhists and, and Hindus. <laughs> right, it's like those, those scary, scary people, because we're afraid that, that what they have might rub off on us. And we have to be careful and we don't listen to their, don't listen to music that isn't, you know, sanctified or holy. And, and again, it, it creates this false reality and it, and and what it really does that I think is the most dangerous is it separates Christians from other people. It creates an us them, uh, which is dangerous and which is damaging. Um, and it's and it's it's uh it's not real. It's not reality. There's only one world. It's the world we all live in. It's this world. Yeah. And, and there is no Christian world and secular world. There's just the world. Yeah. And there your your neighbors are your neighbors. People are people. Music is music. Art is art. And we have to break out of that thing. You know. Yeah. And writings are writings, books are books, you know? Uh, So again, you know, anytime we try to say, okay, these are the inspired books and these are not going Mm -hmm. back to the canon, the Bible, all this stuff, this is where you draw on. This is the same thing. It's the same thing saying, okay, this has inspiration. This doesn't, I mean, what, I mean, really in, in all reality, when we going back to even Richard Rohr's interview that we did on the, on the podcast last week, you know, something that he said was like, and, and obviously affirming this was even traditional, Christian understanding going back, mm-hmm. you know, to the early days of, of, of the movement. But the, the understanding is that the incarnation um, itself, like the, when the Big Bang happened, was the incarnation. It's literally, you're talking about the inbreaking of inspired, the inspired word of God took on materiality at the Big Bang. So we're talking about God may manifest in the physical realm. And this was not specifically. Um, you know, limited to certain things. I mean, it's literally we're talking about everything that exists is um, in, 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 in some way, shape, or form an expression from the mind of God. So, like, it's all inspired and that kind of thing. So, I love how Richard said it. He said the first Bible came, came into being at the Big Bang. <laughs> you know, and yeah. when we say Bible, we're talking about the inspired text that we're drawing inspired, that's, that we can look at and go, there, that's inspired. You know, so again, we're still dealing with this idea of like certain things are inspired, certain things aren't. You know, if you have eyes to see what is real, you will see that thread run through just about everything. Right. And yeah, that's that's exactly it. If if we if you experience creativity and art 
you don't necessarily need to have the right language to explain it. I mean, if you walk through the forest and you see the interaction of a bee and a flower or the interaction of a, you know, a squirrel picking up a nut that fell on the ground and you see the creativity of the mind of the divine. Wow, this is a really amazingly creative world we live in and it's beautiful. And then you put, you put those things, maybe you put your headphones in and you listen to Chopin as you walk or you listen to Mozart and you just see that the beauty and the truth that art speaks to it goes hand in hand with the created order, which comes from the mind of God. And we necessarily, the call to say, oh, it only needs to be one sort of art, Christian art or Catholic art or Protestant art or Muslim art to be the right interpretation of the truth. I, I think we've missed the point at that, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's that whole thing that I have a problem with when it comes to, and, and I think I have a problem with this whole Christian subculture thing because I used to work in it. You know what I mean? I used to work for a Christian record company. Um, right. I saw how the, how it as a business, I mean, if you think about it, <clears throat> it's sort of, it's become the cart that pull that pulls the horse because in the beginning of like, say the Jesus movement, when, you know, this was spontaneous, beautiful thing that was happening among the young people, they were all just falling in love with Jesus and falling in love with each other. And there was uh, a lot of spontaneity and beauty there. Some of them started writing songs again, just spontaneously, not because they wanted a record deal. They just had a guitar and they loved Jesus and songs were coming and flowing and they were singing songs together. And, um, and then if, you know, then it kind of grows and grows until somebody says, man, we should record that song, man. That's awesome. So a guy goes, I got a studio. Okay. Yeah, come on over and we'll get some money and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll record some stuff and make a, make a record. And, uh, and so again, it starts off as a way, like the recording process is serving the music and the movement, but then very quickly, um, you create a market for this music and then the market d dictates what kind of music the artist needs to produce if they want to sell 10,000 units or 20,000 or 50,000 units, because that's what's successful and that's going to make the marketing, you know, and all that blah, blah, blah. So now you've got a market that you, that the art has to serve. And that is really to me where it, things start getting corrupted. And this is true, whether it's Christian music or secular music or music in general, um, a lot of things where, um, the uh, a market creates the kind of stuff that it thinks people want the majority of people want and then now now artists aren't creating art out of this place of spontaneity and out of this place of genuine you know uh connection with the divine and expressing beauty and, and truth uh it's more like sitting down and saying okay my record company wants me to record an album that sounds like pearl jam so that's what i'm going to do right that's now it's totally fake and dead and processed and and what you're creating might be music, but it may not be art. Um, right. And I think you know that's that's one of the unfortunate byproducts. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think Keith, it was you who shared this quote um, from Steve Tur from Steve Turner, is that he 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 quotes one role of the artist is to provoke and even disturb us so that we can see in new ways, as the ancient prophets did. Art frequently condemns the values and concerns of its surrounding culture, often in a loud, harsh voice. In consequence, the artist is often outcast, rejected, or unpopular. And, mm -hmm. when, and, and that's a great quote because it shows that, yeah, the, a lot of these so-called artists aren't really creating art. They're just being the next sound that the market can push onto people, but they're not critiquing the culture. They're not just, they're not getting us to see in any new ways. They're just regurgitating the same 
I guess, mimetic structure where, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, yeah. we do have true art, but I'm just saying as, as a market, Christianity has just become a market of pushing. And you, you go on, I, I was on this long drive to LA down to see you guys, and I was flicking through the radio station and every song sound every christian song on every station sounded the same had the same melodic structure this is like the same timing it was the same um song structure you know you had the verse chorus verse chorus bridge and then you end on the chorus and (laughs) i i was i was like you i was in i was in music for a long time playing words for like 10 years playing drums and it was like every song we would just build and build and build and go and then quiet and go 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 build again build again and and that is not art it wasn't really challenging like Mm -hmm. the prophets did the, the current status quo it wasn't like Bob Dylan or, or, right. or someone like that who's pushing the envelope and getting us to think outside of our theological box or political box or whatever worldview box, whatever box it was. That's the artist is trying to push those walls out. And, and when you get a market that does, uh, does things differently, they don't create art. They just do the status quo. They're just wanting you to stay in that box so they can make yep. more money. Yeah, and see that's 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 so so true. And I, what I love about that quote is that it's it's saying something which I think a lot of art art in general has lost today because of there are because there are markets, right? People want to look. You want to you want to pay the bills. You want to feed your family, and do your art. And I get that there's a tension there. But I think real art, especially the way Steve describes it in that quote, you know, I, I believe this anyway. I think art should. Um, it should challenge the status quo. It should confront the culture and the humanity. It should make us uncomfortable. Um, and that means then the artist has to risk being very unpopular and, and being even, you know, like we experience a lot of times with our writing and, and with our podcast, the ideas we're throwing out that are not status quo, that um, some people embrace it and go, oh, that's yes, I'm so glad I love it. But a lot of people push back against it and say, oh no, that's horrible. That's that's evil. You shouldn't do that. But but for me, I. I much more appreciate an artist who's real. Uh, and if you think about it, you mentioned Bob Dylan. Like uh, I just watched a documentary about about Bob Dylan, and it was fascinating because, you know, he started off. He kind of got started in the folk music realm, which was all protest music, right? It was like very political, very anti-war, uh, social justice, caring for the poor. And he wrote some great, great songs. You know, like "Blowing in the Wind," amazing song, right? Uh, it is a powerful song. Right. But right. Um, but then what happened was immediately this folk uh movement uh you know sort of wrapped itself wrapped its arms around bob dylan and said bob okay you're one of us now so you have to keep writing songs like this and you have to keep producing this kind of art and bob dylan just said and this is just who he is his whole thing was bullshit i'm not doing that i'm gonna be who i am i'm not you want me to conform thank you you, you want me to conform? <laughs> I'm not going to be your monkey. You know what I mean? I'm not going to just right. do what you tell me to do or dance the way you tell me to dance. So he, he on purpose went the other way, right? He started doing electric, pulling electric music, electric guitars and stuff into his, into his music sets. And, and they freaked out. You know what I mean? They, they ostracized him. How dare you? But his whole thing was refusing to conform to the box. I'm not right. going to follow the status quo. In fact, Everything I do is going to push, push, push against the status quo. And in, and in the process of doing that, he had an incredible career of writing incredible songs, still wrote great songs, but he just refused mm-hmm. to write songs that fit in a particular box, fit with a particular label that was nice and neat and packageable, right? And I love that. I mean, say what you will about love him or hate him, at least Bob Dylan had that kind of uh, mentality. And for me, 
that is the, 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 the true mentality of a real artist who just says, I'm not trying to serve a market. I'm trying to r- tell the truth and trying to be honest. And I'm, I'm going to refuse to fit in any label or box that you want to stick me in. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and that's the beauty of it. And that's, um, that's where it's at right there. And, and like, uh, like the prophet who is never welcome in his hometown, neither mm-hmm. is the artist often. Yeah, and I think I think in order yeah. to truly be an artist, you have to just you, you really have to go with to that place internally inside and and be in touch with that place because really people who you know when you look at all great art, great art isn't following an external pattern, even though it may, even if it does, but it's not. That's not the source of it. It's coming from. Um, it's actually, I've heard an artist, I actually just did an interview on my own personal podcast with a, a, a songwriter um, who, you know, she's written for all kinds of people, you know, um, that you would hear, you, you know of and, he- and heard of. But she said, basically, when she touched on this is that, you know, true art, um, or true songs, true creativity, whatever, it's not actually like the art, the person who's doing the creating, even though it looks like they're they're creating it. In a sense, it's already there. So you're what you're doing is you're reaching into this immaterial realm and this place where things aren't mm-hmm. quite, you know, like it's it's just the invisible realm, the realm that we would call God or consciousness or whatever. But like when you reach into that place and you're you're aware of that place, then you reach in and you take things from that place. And I believe God is always speaking. God is always always has a heart and a, and a mind. And um, a, a, a set of an ethos, um, which is love. Obviously, the essence is love, and so this love is always speaking, always communicating, always has a um, has a sentiment to be expressed. And so, when we reach into that realm and tap into that realm, then we 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 become very aware of that, and then that's what you create and bring it into this realm. We have obviously we partner in the sense that we are creating the vehicle, and there is a craft to it. Where, but you're taking from that realm and bringing it into this realm because it already exists. So nothing is original in the sense of like, yeah, like, you know, that's why you can look at creation and go, well, you know, it's all an expression of the same source that comes from, like, that's the essence of it. Like that's what it is. So people that, um, you know, that get caught up in like, well, you know, this isn't going to be popular or people aren't going to like it. I mean, nobody would say things uh, that are unpopular unless they were connected to the source you know, typically because that's, that's why, why you have revelation and why you have creativity because it's really just coming from that place and you're just expressing it in, in any tension you may feel is, is when, you know, obviously people will say, Oh, that's, that's heretical or that's evil. They'll use words to label you as some, you know, universalist or whatever it is that they, they call you. And they, that sounds like this, that sounds like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, you don't care about that because you just, you know what you experience and you know what you're, it's, real because you've tapped into that and you just create from that. And that's what the best artists do. And if you, you know, again, if you're connected to fear, then that immediately shuts that flow off. So artists that worry about money or how am I going to pay the bills or, you Mm. know, what are people going to say, or is this approved or is this heresy? All of that, that just, that shuts it completely down. And that's because that's fear. It literally is like the, you know, it, it just, it's like disconnecting a computer from the internet. It's like, you don't have access in the, even though you are connected still you don't you're not aware of the connection that you have to the source whenever the, those things creep in yeah yeah and i yeah i love what you just said because like that's kind of what i was saying at the beginning the i really do believe that and i know a lot of even uh, writers and artists and musicians who who totally believe that when they create they are connecting to some you know they all may have a different name for it 
they may not call it God, but they do believe they're connecting to some creative force um, that, that, you know, that is sort of the source of, of where this comes from. And uh, I think, you know, again, I, I think it is God. I think he is the creative one. And, and when we, when we create, we have to do that. We have to create uh, something. Well, no, I, I should say we don't have to. I, I think I could write a song right now that would be okay, nice little jingle, and I could write some smart lyrics, whatever, cool. Oh, that's clever. But it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, uh, a song that was something that came from like taking the time to really connect with this creative force. So I, I think you have to intentionally go there and seek that out and and make a habit of, of doing that. You do. Um, there was this, if I could jump in with a story, there was this, uh, this uh, yeah. songwriter I was interviewing um, and uh, she was talking about um, having a, a songwriting session with a, group, a couple other songwriters and they were just getting nothing, you know, and kind of struggling and really, you know, just kind of hitting a wall, that kind of thing. And, um, but then she, uh, she had a dream, the, you know, at night or whatever, and she had a dream and in her dream, um, she vaguely remembered it. She was like in this kind of this stupor, but she she just got up out of bed and said, I got to remember this. And so she just started, she hit record in her phone and just started playing, you know, started playing this melody. And um, and it was, the dream was about her dad who had passed away and a few, you know, a few months back or whatever. And their dad in the dream was like giving her the song. It was like, it was like, it was coming from him. She knew it in the dream. So she's played it in the piano and then started mumbling some lyrics or whatever, and then hit, you know, after she was done, she just stopped recording and went back to bed. She totally forgot about it. It was like literally coming out of a real deep sleep. She didn't remember it. She gets in this writing session again, with these other people, and then suddenly she's like, wait a minute, there's something on my phone here. And she plays it. And it's just, and, and then they, she plays the melody, and then it's like it stirred something in all, all of them. And they just started lyrics, just started flowing and arrangement and different sure. stuff. And they put it together and it became a huge hit. So, Obviously, this a couple of well-known artists heard it. And they wanted to do it anyway. It got they ended up doing that song, and it, and the song became a huge hit because it touched literally tens of thousands of people, maybe more. Um, because but it's like people didn't know the backstory in that. And I think there's songs out there all the time that become hits like that. That but there's coming from a source. So when I was talking to her, when I was interviewing her, she said, "Yeah, I, I firmly believe my dad, who had passed away, gave me that song for my own healing because it really spoke to some deep things in her." It's like, I believe it was my dad. I don't think a relationship ends with death. I think we're still connected just in a different way. So my dad, yeah. just like if he was alive, you know, sometimes we share songs with one another. It's like my dad, you know, shared the song with me, even though he had passed on. And this is the song that we wrote. And this is the song that got into the hands of these artists. And that became a huge hit. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so do you, can you guys think of uh, examples of what we would say would be like true art? I don't want to say Christian art. Because we, I think we've established there really isn't a Christian art versus any other kind of art. Art is art. So, are, are there things that you guys would point to where you would say, "Man, that is that is art." Like that is that's a that's a either a song or you know a movie or a book or something that a poem or something you think, "Man, that that's profound," right? I'd say I, I'll start with yeah, I'll start with um, one of my favorite artists is a. Uh, 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 he goes under the moniker "Sleeping at Last." It's a guy named Ryan O'Neill, and everything oh, yeah. everything he does just stirs something inside of me emotionally, and sometimes even brings tears to my eyes. Like it's just such beautiful um, music. And so when I think of true art, and a lot of his videos are um, they're put to you know these beautiful images of nature and things things like that, and it just 
Uh, it's very profound and very, um, very striking when you listen to it in the right mood. Yeah, for me, uh, as a film yeah. director by the name of Terrence Malick. And uh, Terrence, oh, yeah. in my opinion, like with the movies he makes, like when I see them, it just stirs something so deep in me. I love it. I, I just feel like it's does some things in, in such a brilliant way. But like he, you know, there's there's a number of movies that he did you know, um, that I've, I'm like, this is the most amazing way to communicate what I consider to be reality or truth or inspi- so inspired. It's like, my goodness, like this is, it's like, every, it's, it's exact, it's scripture to me. It's like, you're literally watching this film and it's like, this is the inspired word of God on screen. And because it's just speaking to deep reality. Mm. Um, so for me, Terrence Malick films, uh, I haven't seen all yeah. his movies, but a lot of his movies I've seen. Oh my goodness. It just blows, blew me away. Blows me away. <laughs> you and I agree, man. You and I, you and I could do a whole podcast just on Terrence Malick. I love tree of life is just amazing. I love his stuff. Um, uh, I, I would think, um, I was trying to think, so, so one of you did a song, one of you did a movie. I was trying to think, okay, let me do a book or something. Um, uh, I, I think an author that, and again, I've not read all of his stuff, but the stuff I've read, I've read two of his books. So Cormac McCarthy um, is a, he's a living novelist. He's an incredible uh, fiction writer, but he wrote two of his books became movies. So he wrote uh, the book that was called The Road and uh, it was a post-apocalyptic film about a, a dad and his son kind of walking and uh, in this post-apocalyptic landscape. The, the, the way that book is written, it's poetry. Seriously, I would, I would stop reading you know, a, a certain paragraph or, or something in a chapter. And I would just, I'd go to Wendy and say, listen to this and just read her, you know, just lines from this chapter. And it felt like poetry. It was just beautiful. You know, it's like I've never encountered anybody who could write a fiction story with where every single word of that fiction story was, was beautifully crafted and placed, you know, it, like poems, like a poem. It was just so so beautiful uh and he also wrote another great book called no country for old men which is again based on uh, there was a film based on that book but the book is beautiful i mean if you've seen the movie i know it's a little dark and gritty and violent but i'm telling you when i read the book i wept i mean it 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 was so powerful and beautiful so yeah yeah i love cormac mccarthy he's he's incredible you know speaking of poetry i think poetry it's an interesting thing because it's words, you know, so it's different than a, than a book, you know, it's different than story. It's different in some ways. It is like a song, you know, songwriting and poetry can be similar, but poetry is like just this crafted, very purposeful expressions of words um, that just, they, they just do something to your, to your being, you know, to your, that just, it speaks volumes. Like you can get things across in a poem that you can't get across in an explanation, you know, basically they're both using words, you know, and um, one of my, one of the things I love, uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like, (laughs) but there's some things I do like. And one of the things I like in the, in the scripture, in the Bible is um, Ephesians 2.10, when it says that we were created, um, you know, uh, for, we, we are his, like, or it says also that we are, we are God's workmanship, you know? and that word, the original word there that Paul uses for workmanship is the word poema, which is oh yeah, I love that where we get the word poetry. But like literally thinking about like the artist um, who creates and you know, thinking of God, the divine, the source as this ultimate artist, and like we are literally like the like poetry. We're like poetry. We're these we're these 
masterpieces or craftsmanship that come from the this divine like that's who we are in itself and it's just amazing to think that and then it's it's a we have we're reproductive in nature so like so like we we not only are these poems but then we create also other poems and we just continue to spread these works of art because that's the essence of that's the essence of who we are as human beings we are these poems basically that god has written or god has spoken you know you think about a word what is a word a word is a is a representation of an essence, an immaterial essence. That's what a word is. I love it that Jesus is called the Word of God. You know, obviously the the material or you know the the physical essence of the immaterial. But we are also those words, those poems. That, you know, made up of these expressions of the immaterial, the invisible. It's just beautiful, um, and that we get to create because that's exactly who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I love um, the understanding of God as, as a storyteller, because it, 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 if we go back to talking about art as something that speaks to suffering and speaks to pain, um, it makes sense that those things would exist in the world. If the story was going to be a good story, if it was going to be a human story. It's certainly going to have to speak to those things. And I don't want to go on the tangent of talking about the problem of evil, but things like Thinking of of this whole thing as a story helps alleviate my heart in that way because the truth of a good story is that sometimes there's there's some really rocky shit we got to deal with and you know Lord of the Rings which is one of my my favorite stories of all of all time would be really really boring without all the stuff it would just be like you know I love this I love the way Tolkien describes mm-hmm. the Shire and I love the first couple chapters of Fellowship. But eventually, you got to get on with it. You got to you got to go through this grueling story, um, and I and 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 I like thinking of that like that because it it seems true because mm-hmm. we are storytellers, we are poets, we are painters, and we are musicians, and those those folks speak to the realness of what it means to be a human. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to say I, I love what you were going yeah. to Jamal with this idea of us being yeah. God's workmanship or His poem. Um, or his masterpiece, right? Uh, it also reminds me of there's a verse in Second Corinthians three three where Paul says, uh, he says that you are a letter from the Messiah, placed in our care, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the Living God, not on stone tablets, but on the human heart. And uh, I love that because I think that again it may, it brings us into that we are part of that, right? So uh, we are the letter that that Christ is writing each one of us. And, um, and so then if that's true, if we really believe that, then our lives should be, we should be okay to have, to, to let our lives be all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the, the, the struggle as well, you know, the, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, um, you know, cause like, like you said, uh, Matt, every story, how right. boring would the story be if there was never any trial or, or difficulty? Right, you have to have something to overcome. You have to have. That's how you get a, a good ending, as to when you are struggling against the evil or struggling against the, you know, whatever the opposition. And so our lives are the same way. And if we can think of it in, the, in that term, like my life is a letter that Christ is writing on my heart and on the hearts of other people too. Well, then, wow, this isn't even just about me. This is about me and everyone around me that I get a chance to really my life can be art, right? My life can be this work of art that God can create something beautiful and amazing that will, that will not just do something beautiful for me, 
but do something beautiful for everyone around me. And, um, and whether that's poems, songs, music, art, or just being a friend, right? Being there for somebody, standing with somebody, um, you know, that, that, that's important. That's powerful. Yeah. And I think it's a perception too. So like, for example, you know, certain, I was talking to a friend the other day and we were like, well, this is spiritual. We're talking about like, what, what is a miracle, you know, and what is not a miracle. And I was saying, you know, it's, it's all perception. Like a mirror, like everything Mm -hmm. can be spiritual if you see it as that. Like, for example, there's nothing less spiritual or less miraculous about the fact that you breathe every day or that you woke up today. Right. Or that you, I mean, you have life. I mean, my goodness, like the fact that you exist, you have consciousness, you have life. Some people look at that and go, that's not a miracle. Well, that is a miracle if you see it that way. It all can be that way. Yep. And, and I think art is like that. You could look at the meal that, you, that you're cooking as an art, as an expression of art. Or you could look at it as like just some, some ridiculous meal I'm, I have to make. You know, I got to cook, so I got to eat, you know. But or you could look at it as art. It's all perception. Everything's perception. Everything you do can be art if you see it that way as expressing of course you know being this expression of 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 your life and what are, where does your life come from if you tra- if you just do the dominoes trace it back your life everything you do comes from your consciousness and your consciousness comes from where god and so the, it's all can be traced back to the source so it's just a matter of perception yeah exactly well uh i'm glad you mentioned food because it's just if we're mindful yeah. it's like why wouldn't we yeah create art with our food. I mean, it's so such an important thing in our lives. We all need food. Let's, I mean, art is everywhere and it's everywhere to behold. And, you know, if we're mindful about it, we can yeah. see it in everything. Sure. And I think if people saw food with art, they wouldn't eat spam. <laughs> or, the, or they would, yeah. you know? they would turn it into some beautiful, uh, some beautiful <laughs> food. They would do something with it. So true. So Yeah. Well, but you know, that, that's still a good yeah. point though. I mean, I think it, in the end, art is about perception, right? Jamal, like you said, like, um, anything can be art. So it's not just, oh, I'm an artist and I created a thing and there's my thing and that makes it art. Well, not necessarily because someone could look at it and say, what's that? That's not art. That's no big deal, right? So you need the the viewer, the person who's who's um, who comes to the art. Uh, it's It's much more about the relationship between the person who is experiencing whatever that work is uh, that's where the art happens. That's where something really becomes art or not. It either resonates with somebody on a really deep, beautiful, spiritual level, or it doesn't. And so that's why it's in some ways it's objective because what I would call art, somebody else would say, that's not art. But but even though they may not call art what I call art, they call something art. There's something else though that they do resonate with that they say, no, this, this is art. And so um, I think perception is a big, big part of it. So we can, if we think about it, yes, maybe we can open ourselves up more to to accept other things uh, as being art and as being something that could be uh, something that communicates truth or beauty. Uh, it could even be something that is from a divine spark, right, through another person that we might normally not think of it as being art but maybe it yep. is, and we're just exactly. missing it. So sometimes it's just having the right eyes to see. Love it. I love it. Hey, hey, speaking of art. Speaking of art. Tell us your thoughts about what you think art is on the Heresy Hotline, 240. Free Heresy. That's right. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we have a hotline. Please call the hotline. <laughs> yeah, we know. I told him. Thank you. Yeah, we, yeah we, he told us. 
And don't forget, we're sponsored by the Unfunded Bellas. That's right. Yeah. yeah, right. And we have a hotline. <laughs>